Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we have Jenny with us. Um, So Jenny, if you just want to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, what you do, all of that good stuff. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm Jenny. Um, My husband and my eight children and I live in North Dakota. It's cold today. (laughs) Uh, My husband is a mechanical draftsman engineer. I am a stay-at-home mom. Um, I homeschool all eight children. I am also a medical mom, so I have a a child who's medically complex and do a lot of care and therapies for her, and yeah, just really love life. We've been married for 20 years. Our oldest child is 20, and our youngest child is three. Very cool. Awesome. Well, wherever, if you want to start with 20 years ago with that first baby, just take take us kind of back to the beginning and where that motherhood journey began for you. Absolutely. Um, My first pregnancy was actually completely unexpected. I was 16 years old. So I have the pregnant teen scenario going. Sure. Um, Absolutely expected this man to walk out of my life saying I'm not ready for this. And he didn't. He saw that test and he looked at me, looked at the test. He said, let's go have breakfast. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Three months later, we were planning our wedding. Uh, we got married when I was six months pregnant, had baby at, in December. She just turned 20. Um, and it was a very terrifying at that time, you know, being a teenager, terrifying birth, but at the same time peaceful because I had people there who loved me, who knew how to help me. Um, I had a great support team and even the doctor in that case was really, really comforting, really evidence-based. She would not induce me no matter how much I wanted it done. (laughs) You know, being 16 years old and pregnant, I wanted that baby out and stuff and she would not induce me. She said, no, we need to wait for your body to do its thing. At 38 weeks, my water broke and I started having contractions And uh, I wanted the epidural right away. Again, she said, no, we need to let your body do its thing. We can't give it too early. And she explained everything. Can I ask, where was this that you um, had your first baby? Was it where you're living now or was it somewhere else? No, this was actually in Williston, North Dakota. Very cool. Sorry, I was just curious because that's, that's I feel like that's something that you don't hear a lot, especially as a young mom who maybe isn't as prepared and don't, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into per se. So that's, I just wanted to hear where that was at because that sounds, that sounds great. Yes. And that's something else that I found with my entire journey is that doctor was just phenomenal when it came to, to pregnancy and labor and birth care. Um, she, she was very, very natural minded. She did the typical things that you'd see in the hospital of IV and we did finally do the epidural um, and whatnot, but she was just so laid back and letting the moms do their thing. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. 
<laughs> so um, I started, gosh, I started pushing, um, started pushing on my back and things just weren't moving along that well. And she actually offered the options of getting up into a squatting position, getting on a birthing chair, um, all of these things. And it was finally on the birthing chair that baby's head started crowning. I believe baby's head was actually out and she had me just kind of waddle over to the bed while she held the, the baby there. You know, my, my thinking is baby's going to fall out on the way there and <laughs> um, got, got on the bed and laying down and baby came right out. No big deal. And it was at that point that they told me that baby had come out sunny side up. Did you, um, so, did you have back labor or like, I did. okay. Okay. Yes, I did. I didn't know what it was. And they said, well, that explains why you had so much pain. She came out looking up at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and it still took me actually several years after to fully understand what that meant. And so, but it was, it was neat to realize that I was a teenager and I still got that baby out in a posterior position. Absolutely. Because sometimes, I mean, that can lead to like longer labors, more interventions, different things like that. Yep. So that's awesome that you had such a supportive doctor. Yes. Yes. So she was incredible. I, I did wind up with five stitches. Again, not, not a bad thing for a, a brand new mom. So yeah. Um, so then how long after your first baby was born, did you get pregnant with your second? So that was, t uh, December of 2000. Okay. And I had my next one, February of 2003. So I was, I was 19 when I had him and that was a, that was a little bit of an odd situation. I had one doctor that took care of the prenatal care. And, but she did not do births, so she had to transfer me during the last six weeks of pregnancy. Was that at the same um, no. hospital that you were at or a different no. one? No, we had moved to Wapaton, North Dakota. And uh, this was a different facility. That, and I, it was something about the, the doctor had some health concerns herself and didn't feel comfortable catching babies anymore, and, which I understood but we switched to the other doctor at about 32 weeks and he was not quite as naturally minded as that first doctor that we had had. So at about 38 weeks, he started doing membrane sweeps. Um, he started throwing around the words, this is a big baby. We might have to induce. And at 40 weeks on the dot, he said, okay, we're setting up for an induction. This baby's too big. We need to get the baby out. And, and did I you did you have any knowledge prior to that, like what those types of things meant, or that that's kind of like sometimes that you something that you sometimes hear from doctors, or how how did that feel for you? It was it was scary for me. I didn't realize that you know a woman could birth a big baby. I didn't realize that you know I I, I watched movies where women had done it back in the the 1800s and whatnot and you always in the movies you always hear of something bad happening so that's what i envisioned for me is if we don't get this baby out something bad is going to happen um and it was uh 40 weeks on the day i was induced 
I was on 19 hours of Pitocin. Um, yes, very, very difficult drug to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the epidural as early as I possibly could, mm-hmm. you know, didn't know any better. So I just got it. And I pushed out a beautiful little redheaded boy. And, and how much did he weigh? Do you remember? He weighed eight pounds, eight ounces. Okay. How much? I didn't ask how much was your first baby? First was seven pounds, four ounces. Still so, bigger, but not a big yeah. baby. I mean, still a pretty not, average size baby. Yeah. Yep. Not big at all. And, you know, I the thing I remember from that birth is that the nurses were just insistent that I must be in pain. He was such a big baby. I must be in pain and I need to take ibuprofen. And people laugh at me because I, I'm, I'm pretty blunt with things. I looked at the nurses and I said, I do not feel like I had a baby. I just feel like I had rough sex. <laughs> <laughs> and they, at that point, the doctor looked at me and said, okay, I think you, you're ready to go home then. <laughs> That's a good sign, right? <laughs> so, yes. You know, and, and I think that that bluntness really does help us women in those situations. Yeah, um, I would agree. You know, so I would encourage women, don't be afraid. Yeah, to use be direct. Words you've got to use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. The more direct and confident you sound, the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So that was a, my, my biggest baby to date. Um, and came home and I was nursing him and uh, wound up not being able to nurse him as, as often as I wanted to. Um, I think we quit at about three months because of severe thrush. Mm-hmm. Um, he had blood ulcers in his mouth and and whatnot. So I did not get to nurse him as often as I wanted to, but we still have a great relationship. So, hey. And he was nine months old when I got pregnant with the next one. And that one uh, was the same situation as as his older brother. Started off with one doctor and transferred to the other. And I should have known better. You know, I should have known that this guy was going to push for induction, but it just didn't cross my mind. And it was the same scenario. Baby's getting too big. We need to have an induction. So we we went in, we had our Pitocin induction. We got to the pushing stage and got baby's head out. And then the doctor realized that the cord was around his neck. And she, for whatever reason, I don't know. I know now that you can slip the cord over the head a lot of times. For whatever reason, she did not do that. She chose to cut the cord at the perineum. What, before the whole baby was out? Before his whole body was out. Oh, wow. And then realized that his shoulders were stuck. Uh, So I had her hands in my body around him pulling and I had a nurse with her hands on my belly pushing down as hard as she could. Oh my goodness. Um, very excruciating pain. He did come out. He was not breathing. Um, it took them four minutes to revive him using, um, you know, tapping on the foot and rubbing his back vigorously and suctioning him and doing oxygen puffs and, and things of that nature. And all the while, you know, it seemed like forever for me. Oh, of course. Right. Um, Those four minutes can seem like a lifetime. Yes. And all the while he's, he was hanging on, he, he was blue. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. They weren't telling me what was going on. Um, and he did finally cry and music to my ears. They brought him over to me 
And I was in such shock from what happened that I could not physically hold him. I was just shaking and, and could not physically hold him. I was throwing up, you know, that's a a severe trauma to my body as well and whatnot. Um, So dad held him for a gosh, a, a good three hours, I think before I was able to, he has some neurological differences now because we, we believe because of that birth and the lack of oxygen, we were actually told just recently that he, what he suffered at that birth was a hypoxic event. That'll, that'll come into play with one of my later stories. (laughs) Uh, But it was a hypoxic event, which led to, um, he does have mild cerebral palsy. um, And he also has autism, high functioning autism. He's able to do everything on his own still, but there is definitely a difference. And so that lack of oxygen really, really played a role in how we've raised him even and and whatnot and how he re- interacts with other people so and how i guess how was your um husband in that situation like how i guess and how did both of you feel going home after that and how did that postpartum period compare to the previous two because that's you're right that's a very yeah. traumatic thing you know, my husband is calm, cool, collected just all the time. He he does not panic over anything. And that's really kind of the glue that holds our family together. Uh, and stuff. he's just a, an amazing support person. Myself, I was panicked. I viewed it as my baby just about died. I don't really want to go home. Uh, but at the same time, was excited to be home. Um, that first year after his birth, though, I, I was panicked a lot. I would notice quite often when he would lay in his, his little bassinet or crib that he would choke on his own saliva. And I knew there was something wrong. Doctor said it was just a normal baby thing. It's no big deal. Just lay him on his side. And so, you know, back in the days when babies were allowed to lay on their sides while sleeping. (laughs) And, you know, so I just kind of kept going. And I know now after other birthing events and what we've gone through that that was a sign of that hypoxic event and I praise God that he made it through (laughs) yeah absolutely how did you work on processing through that or did you feel like that was ever something you needed to address with your care team at the time or um I actually switched doctors after that one switched complete clinics actually um, and just never went back there. Um, and it wasn't so much due to the birth because I didn't really, I, I knew that I did not like what that doctor did, but I didn't know why at that point. It wasn't until baby number six that I learned what had happened. Okay. Um, so kind of connected so, you know, those dots later. Yes. Yeah. So I went through, I went through four fairly terrible births before I actually learned. Um, sure. Wow. So then how old was he when uh, you got pregnant with your next baby? Oh, goodness. Baby number four, right? He was was right around two years old, I believe, when we had baby number four. One was July of 2004, and and number four was September of 2007. Um, And that baby was a great pregnancy. I had a brand new doctor, um, doctor that I still actually have contact with nowadays. And I still 
knowing what I know now, don't agree with how he did things. Um, but I'm able to talk to him about it. He's been able to learn from it. So good things there. Um, but it was kind of the same scenario as the previous two where we reached a certain date and I was told, oh, baby's getting big. We probably should get him out before he's too big. So oh, I forgot at, to ask, how big was baby number three then in comparison? Baby number three, who was the shoulder dystocia, and you hear about large babies having that problem, was only seven pounds, 14 ounces. Okay. <laughs> so yes, a rather tiny baby to, to me anyway, and just happened to be in that strange position. And you can see sometimes too, that sometimes plays a bigger role than baby's yes. weight. I mean, position yes. and flexion and just how baby yes. is traveling through that birth canal can cause very much so. more so than if you even have like a nine pound, 10 pound baby. Very much so. And I believe with him that that Pitocin triggering all those contractions so quickly is what caused him to be in that position. He didn't have the time to, to get in a position that was favorable. Sure. That makes sense. Then baby number four was, uh, I believe 40 weeks and three days. And they sent me in for induction. The doctor did tell me right up front, it, he was going to use Cervidel. Um, and he told me right up front, this probably isn't going to work. You'll go home and you'll come back tomorrow and we'll try it again. And so, so I was like, okay, let's, you know, let's just try it. I'm excited to meet my baby. Um, and it worked the first time. He, he barely got it in and I was contracting several, I think probably three hours later, he decided to break my waters, um, which was, you know, I didn't know any better. So at that time it was fine with me. About an hour later, the nurse was checking me and she actually panicked and ran from the room. Without saying anything? Without saying anything. Oh, wow. Just, I've got to get the doctor and ran. And my husband and I were sitting there wondering what in the world is going on. Um, doctor came in and checked me himself and discovered that baby was coming out hands first. <laughs> um, he, he looked at me. He said, you know what? You've had three other kids. You've had some interesting births. You can do this. Not a big deal. So he was going to allow me to birth that baby hands first. Um, continued laboring uh for about another hour when the nurse checked me again and this time panicked again but did not leave the room did not take her hand out of me either and called the doctor and said stat which to me was okay something's wrong here but they're not telling me doctor came in um they very carefully switched hands and doctor informed us that the cord had prolapsed and baby's head was pushing on it. His heart rate was down to 60 beats per minute. Um, they gave me some medications to stop labor. They flipped my bed almost uh, upside down where my rear end was in the air. And they, we did not have a um, surgery team on site at this hospital. They have to wait for them to, to show up. So they called the, the anesthesia and surgery and everybody. And I just remember the doctor repeatedly telling me it's not an emergency yet. It's an emergency, but it's not an emergency yet. And he just kept pressure on baby's head to keep him off of the cord. Um, and it was 45 minutes later that they finally got us into the ER or the OR. 
and he was, I think I was put out and he was out of me within two minutes. And, um, which I've learned is what happens in a true emergency. They, they just don't even take the time because babies, quite frankly, babies more important at that time. Um, and stuff. So, you know, they, they put me out, baby was born. He was born perfectly fine. Um, breathing great. Heart rate was great. Uh, they took him off to the nursery right away and dad and grandma and everybody got to see him before me. <laughs> um, I remember waking up in my room and my husband showing him to me and I was, I was drowsy for a good six hours after this, but I remember my husband showing him to me and showing me that he had red hair and I can remember in my drowsy state, just looking down and saying, but he still has blood chunks in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all my other babies had been wiped off so well before they'd been handed to me that that was just a complete shock to me. And I didn't realize that there even was an opportunity to, to have a quote unquote unclean baby. <laughs> and so that was, we, we still joke about that. Um, but I was so drowsy from everything that I could not hold him to breastfeed. And my amazing husband and a nurse literally held him to the breast for hours until I woke up. And so, yes, absolutely, absolutely incredible man that I have. <laughs> um, yeah, it and, sounds like it. Very supportive. That's wonderful. Yes. And, and I credit that a lot with the breastfeeding relationship that I did have with that child. Uh, that one actually lasted for three years. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. However, I did struggle with a lot of postpartum depression after that birth. A lot of feelings like a failure. Uh, you know, my body was supposed to be able to do this. Why couldn't I? And stuff. And it was something that was completely out of my control with that cord slipping through. But I just didn't feel like I didn't feel like a woman. You know, I, I didn't feel like a mother. I felt like that right was was taken from me. And so I struggled a lot with postpartum depression the first several weeks. Really, the only reason I did nurse him or change his diaper or feed my other kids or anything along those lines was because I knew that if I didn't, they wouldn't survive. Other than that, I just laid in bed and didn't do anything. Um, and I finally went to that doctor that delivered him. And I said, look, something's, something's got to change. I can't be this mom. And at that point, he didn't really believe me, didn't really believe the psychological effect that it had on me. So he just kind of gave me this little test of, well, why don't you go home and write three things down on your whiteboard that you want to accomplish every day and just do those three things. If nothing else gets done, it's okay. And so, you know, I took his advice. I went home, I did it. And those three things were quite literally feed the children, keep them alive and get dressed. That, that was those three things. My house was in turmoil, uh, you know, dishes everywhere, but it didn't matter because those kids were alive. It was probably about five to six months in that I finally went back to him and said, I need medication. And it was the best decision of my life to do that. Um, within two weeks of starting Prozac, I had completely turned around. I was 
happy and I was laughing with my kids again and I was getting up and actually cleaning my house again. I wasn't yelling at anybody anymore. But but that was a that was one of the hardest times of my life was after that birth. You know, um I I very strongly remember the sensation of standing up the first time and feeling as if my insides were going to fall out. Um just excruciating pain. I couldn't even stand up straight. I couldn't take a full breath without pain. Um, and because I was doubled over so much, then my back ached, uh, which, you know, my entire body was just, it felt like it had been hit with a Mack truck. It was just incomplete turmoil. Um, and we later learned actually that that cesarean and the trauma that it caused had triggered an autoimmune disorder as well. Um, and so I have basically lived in pain since that moment. Um, consistent muscle pain in my entire body since that moment. Um, I also get flare-ups of severe pain and blistering on my face. Um, and it's uh, the only thing everybody can figure is that that trauma triggered that autoimmune disease. So and how do you so, cope with that then? Or are there some things that you do that can help give you some relief? I I try to be as naturally minded as I can nowadays. Back then I was not. <laughs> um, but I try to be as naturally minded as I can. So p- for things like pain, I use turmeric um, and a lot of movement. And I think with eight kids, I'm moving around a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So a lot of movement, um, warm baths, Epsom salts, things of that nature. Uh, For the blistering of the face, right now it's in remission. Thank goodness. Um, I've found certain facial cleansers that will help to keep it at bay uh, and stuff. But I can feel when it's starting to flare up. And typically I will just take... Um, some extra vitamins that help with adrenal gland dysfunction. And quite often I can keep it at bay. Um, It's much worse during the winter, but North Dakota winters are not nice. (laughs) No, they're not nice on anybody's face, (laughs) but it it is interesting to feel like you have a severe sunburn during the winter. And that's what this autoimmune disorder does. That's been an interesting thing or a difficult thing to, to get through as well. Um, and like I said, I've, I've learned how to deal with it, I guess, and don't really let it bother me anymore, but I can understand now having gone through it, how other women would just be besides themselves with news of that, you know, they're recovering from a birth, recovering from cesarean, trying to raise a family, and then they get hit with that news too. And so I can understand how they would, they would probably spiral out of control for a little while as well. Yeah, that's a lot to have on your plate all at once. And then your other children at home too, because it's not just the one baby you just had through cesarean, it's all of your other kids at home too. Yep, exactly. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) then how, how long after um, your cesarean birth did, did are we on baby number Six? We are up to baby number five. Five. Okay. <laughs> yes. And amazingly, after having had that horrible birth, <laughs> uh, we only waited nine months again. 
and we goodness i'm trying to think we started out with a different doctor this time um, mostly because the the previous one just was never available when we needed him so we started out with a different doctor who was very natural minded he comes from africa he's seen home births he's seen every type of birth you can imagine very natural minded um but because i had had a cesarean he could not do a VBAC in our hospital. Um, so he had to, he was able to see me through 32 weeks and then he had to transfer me to a larger hospital an hour away. And were you uh, planning a VBAC at this time then? I, I was. Assuming? Okay. I was, I was adamant that I would never be cut open again. <laughs> um, I, I did not want that. Um, so yeah, VBAC was all the way. We had even talked about the possibility of doing a home birth. We didn't give it very much credit at that point, but we talked about it. Um, but we found this doctor uh, in, in a town an hour away in Fargo, North Dakota, who I did not realize at the time was as old school, I guess you could say, as he was. Uh, but it played in so well to our benefit. You know, I got to 40 weeks. And I was expecting that same old, we got to get the baby out. And he was just, nope, we're going to let your body do what it needs to do. <laughs> and I got to 41 weeks. And I said, I need this baby out now. <laughs> and he said, no, we're going to let your body do what it needs to do. You're four centimeters. It's doing something. And I got to 11 days past my due date. And he finally said, okay, you're four centimeters. You live out of town. I will agree to breaking your waters. That's the only way I will induce you. And so I showed up that morning and he broke my waters. Contractions started immediately. Um, I had back labor again. So at that time I had learned a little bit what that meant. And I had incredible nurses up there um, who basically just had me lean over a counter and sway my hips. And within 20 minutes of doing that, back labor was ceased. I was in transition, um, had the epidural because I didn't know any better, <laughs> got it in transition. And not even an hour later, I had pushed out a beautiful little boy. How long was, was that from start to end from when you had your waters broken to baby being born? That was five hours total. That was my, my quickest labor and delivery ever. And I kind of look at that and wish all of them could be like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was easy peasy, probably was one of the best hospital births that I had had. Um, the only thing that I would actually change about that one was that the doctor, because I'd had a VBAC, decided that he needed to go in and manually explore the uterus to make sure there were no tears. Uh, which I know now can actually cause tears. It's very, very painful having an entire arm stuck in your uterus. I can imagine. Um, you know, even with an epidural, I felt it. Um, and, you know, it, it can cause infection. It can cause all sorts of just horrible things. So it's, it's a very atrocious thing to have done. And I would encourage women to say no kick that doctor if you have to, <laughs> uh, because it's, you're going to know if your uterus has, has torn. You're going to know there's going to be excessive blood. There's going to be uh, pain. You know, you're, it's not something that's going to be missed. So there's no reason to have a hand in there 
searching for it. And that can happen. I mean, the the risk of it is lower than if you've had a C-section. But I mean, there's a risk of a uterine window or rupture or all of those types of things. Right. Even if you haven't had a cesarean. So to feel the need to do that. Yep. Very draconian. I think it was the next day I was out of the hospital with baby. Um, We discovered that he had clubbed foot. (laughs) and we still don't know if it was a genetic thing or if it was him being so cramped up in there Uh, we have no idea but he wore a special brace on his foot for four years Um, when he was learning to walk he fell and bit through his lip and his tongue multiple times (laughs) Uh, so he he quite literally lives up to his name which is Serge um, he is our surge of electricity in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. And how, so, how much did he weigh at birth? He was eight pounds exactly. So I've at this point, I've had two seven pound babies and now three eight pound babies. Felt perfect after his birth, came home, took care of him, took care of the other kids. I did start to notice a little bit of postpartum depression again. And because I noticed the signs, I went in and got on medications right away. I said, I wasn't even going to mess with it. I'm just getting the medications and getting it done with and felt incredible after that. Um, I was, you know, I was a rock star with mom of five and getting things done and homeschooling them. And, you know, just, I I felt on top of the world, really nursed him uh, until 18 months and his older brother until three years old. So they quit right at the same time. Oh, so you were tandem nursing then too? Yes, I was. Okay. Yes. Um, didn't know what it was called back then. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that birth sparked in me a desire to learn more uh, because it was so positive and because things, you know, things went so great. I mean, a five hour birth and, and everybody came out of it feeling wonderful it really sparked in me a desire to learn about birth. So I just started looking into things on my own a little bit, reading birth stories, uh, watching birthing movies. I think I watched The Business of Being Born. That's like the classic documentary. That's a good one. Everyone should watch that somewhere in there and decided that if we had another baby and we'd always planned to have six babies. So I said, if we had another baby, I'd like to try home birth. And how did your um, husband feel about that when you said that? I think he was a little bit nervous, but he was supportive as well. He um, He's very logical. And so for him, it was, you know, we've done it five times already. We know what to expect. We know the signs of something going wrong. So let's go ahead and do this and just be careful. Um, and, and he knew we'd have a midwife. Uh, so, you know, we just kind of planned things out. Well, it was four years until we got pregnant again and went back to our original doctor that here in town uh, who had sent us to the, the previous hospital. And it was, again, the same thing. He could see us through pregnancy. He could not deliver a baby because it would be a VBAC still, even though I'd already had one VBAC, he couldn't do it. Uh, so he set us up with uh, another doctor. This one was actually from a parent standpoint she was in support of home birth from a doctor's standpoint she had to give us all the no don't do it 
uh, type of scenario. We maintained with her that, you know, if everything went well, this was our plan. We were looking for a midwife. Um, and we did have an interview with a midwife, but it just did not sit right with us. There was just something that wasn't emotionally right there for either my, myself or my husband. Um, so we threw around the idea of even doing it ourselves, um, having a completely unassisted birth. Unfortunately, our baby decided to be breech. <laughs> um, so at 38 weeks, we had an ECV um, in the hospital with the, the obstetrician. Um, it was unsuccessful. It was not as painful as people um, often say it is. I, and I did not have any pain medications or anything. It just, to me, felt like a vigorous massage, I guess. <laughs> Um, but it was ultimately unsuccessful. And so I went home in tears, realizing that either we're going to have to do this completely on our own with a breech baby, which was unheard of for us, or we're going to wind up having a C-section again. Those were our only options that we were given. Um, we were told that, you know, breech birth in the hospital is, is not possible. We cannot do it. So we set up with our regular doctor here in our town who could do the surgery, felt more comfortable doing it with him. And at 40 weeks and one day, which was my grandfather's birthday, uh, we went in for surgery, went in for a C-section and had our little girl who kicked at the scalpel while being born and cut her foot. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, we, we actually joke with that doctor that he gave her her first injury. Thankfully, it was not bad. It was just a little scratch. But uh, but yes, she came out. She was, goodness, eight pounds, 10 ounces. So she was my biggest baby ever out of all of my children. She was my biggest. She, you know, I was awake during that C-section, which I think made a, a huge difference. Um, I did not have, I was, still was in quite a lot of pain, but it was not as bad as the first one. Um, and I knew what to expect. So I stayed up on the pain medications, but by day three, I was able to be only on ibuprofen. Um, and I was released from the hospital early because that doctor knew me so well that he, he just looked at me and said, yeah, you're going to re relax better at home. And so he sent us home and, and I did, it, it took a while to get back to normal. I think our baby was probably three months old before I was fully back to my normal self, raising six kids, my husband working out of town. Uh, it was chaotic. <laughs> it was good and, and I could handle it, but it was chaotic uh, after a C-section and I, we don't have family in town. So it, it was a difficult time, but it was doable. I noticed the signs of postpartum depression again this time. Um, and I chose not to do medication uh, because I noticed them and I knew certain tactics to get through them as well. I knew to reach out to a friend. Um, and I knew that a lot of my postpartum depression dealt with loneliness. Um, it, it, it was directly triggered by the fact that I was home alone with six little ones by myself all the time. Yeah, that's and a lot. so I learned that, yeah, I learned that I need to go to church. 
and be around people. I needed to go hang out with friends and go on play dates and, and things of that nature. And that really helped. I, I was able to get through without medication. I was able to breastfeed that one. Actually, she breastfed until she was four years old, which was incredible. And, and I actually, with her, wound up triandum nursing. Oh, wow. So it was her <laughs> and her younger sister nursing. And then I was pumping for the baby that is now three years old, all at wow. the same time. That's incredible. Um, yes. So um, not the birth I was looking for of course, but it worked out. Um, I definitely would not, knowing what I know now, I definitely would not do that again. I, I would choose a breech birth over a C-section any day. And that plays in a lot to my next birth. Baby number seven came almost exactly two years later. And we had found a midwife during that time that does home births, um, does all sorts of home births. And we really just fell in love with her and decided that she would be our home birth midwife. Um, went through, I think I was 41 weeks and five days when contraction started in the afternoon. Um, I didn't really pay attention. They'd been kind of coming and going for weeks. So I didn't really pay attention to them. By 11 o'clock at night, I thought, wow, maybe this is the real deal. So I texted her and said, okay, I think something's happening. You know, just be on, on alert and stuff. And she said, okay, well, make sure you eat something and, and get some rest. So I did. I ate something. I went to bed and I could not sleep. <laughs> Contractions were coming and going and coming and going. And about four o'clock in the morning, I told my husband, I need to get in the shower. I just, I need that water to, to help with the pain. Uh, so he got me in the shower and he called my midwife and said, this is, this is the real thing. Um, and so uh, she told him, okay, well, I'll get up and start getting ready. You just do your thing and keep me posted on what happens. And I think it was about an hour later, I got out of the shower and he called her back again and said, yeah, you need to head out. You need to come on out and, and, and be here. It's going fast. I stood and swayed my hips. I bent over the, the birthing ball. I, you know, every position I could possibly find, I did. Um, he started filling the birthing tub and I got in at about seven o'clock when the midwife showed up um, and it was much more comfortable. Oh my goodness. Water birth is amazing. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, so I got in the birthing pool and it seemed like it almost spaced things out a little bit. So I, me not knowing any better, I kind of panicked a little bit thinking, you know, why is this slowing things down? The baby should be here by now. Um, my midwife knew better. She knew it was just you know, the water calming me and, and things of that nature. But at one point I started to get really severe pains in my pubic bone. Couldn't figure out why, but my pubic bone felt like it was going to break in half. And so I finally asked my, my midwife, who is very hands-off, I asked her if she would check me. Um, you know, I was panicked thinking I'm rupturing. I, I was thinking it was a uterine rupture. She, of course, knew better. <laughs> she knew the signs, and, and but she did check me. 
And we got the surprise of our lives when she said, my gosh, your baby has flipped to breach. Not even an hour earlier, that baby was head down. And now that baby was feet down and her feet were caught up on my pubic bone. That's what the pain was. <laughs> well, good um, for you for listening so, to your body too and asking for that input. I mean, yeah. if, yeah, cause that's, it's nice to hear too that your midwife was a little more hands-off and that you were able to be the one to voice that you wanted to be checked and know what was going on. Right. That's wonderful. Yep. Yep. And at that point, my water had not broken yet either. Um, midwife could feel the feet on the, the pubic bone, but you know, the water was still intact. So that was a good thing. But we knew that something had to happen to get those feet dislodged from the pubic bone. So at that point, we, you know, we talked about it. We came up with our best educated choice in the matter. And that was that our midwife was, would help to remove the feet from the pubic bone so that baby could come out. And so she just, with the contractions, very gently reached around and pulled the, the feet down. Um, it was painful. Uh, you know, I won't lie about that. That was probably the most painful part. Uh, but baby's feet came down and that triggered my, my waters breaking. And I was still in the pool on my hands and knees. I reached down and felt baby's feet. We noticed that there was another pain in the pubic bone. And it was determined that the baby's knees were now caught up. So not only was she breached, but she was also posterior. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so this was just a, a crazy, crazy birth. Um, you know, and it, it's amazing how something so crazy could still be so peaceful. And there was no panic in this situation at all. Everybody just knew that, okay, this is normal. You know, it, this is just a variation of normal, I should say. And there's just different movements we need to do to get this baby out. So we kept pushing, kept trying to, you know, coax the baby in different positions in the pool and it just wasn't working in the, the birthing pool. So we decided to get out and lay flat on my back on the bed to see if gravity would help push baby's knees under the pubic bone. Um, and it did help. It uh, went perfectly. Her knees dislodged. We saw her toes finally and there's more to the story here, but I'll say from the time we saw her toes to the time that her head was born was exactly two minutes. Wow. So she just kind of shot out of there. <laughs> um, but there's way more to the story in between those two minutes as well. Uh, so she was born on flat on my back up to her armpits. Um, when she got to about her armpits, the midwife was watching her very closely, had still been hands off, uh, but she noticed her chest rising a little bit, which can be a sign of a startle reflex, can be a sign of a baby maybe trying to breathe before they are fully born. So she knew that baby needed to come out right now. Um, there was no time to waste. If, if baby was trying to breathe, baby was going to breathe in everything baby should not breathe in. Um, and so she told me, we need to get you on your hands and knees immediately. Of course, me in that state, I, I said, I can't roll over. <laughs> um, this amazing woman literally threw my body over. She literally just, I, I don't even know how she did it. Goliath strength 
but she threw my body over. I was on hands and knees, Gaskin maneuver. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, and baby literally just slid right out. Just, yeah. The minute I was on hands and knees, baby slid out. She caught baby, um, made sure, you know, of course the baby was, was okay. Um, did not need to do any suctionings. Thank God. Uh, but slip baby underneath to me and I just sat there on my hands and knees, <laughs> not, not even comprehending that I could, you know, roll over and lay down. <laughs> and so, but I just stood there staring at this little life, just whimpering. She didn't cry. She just sat there staring at us and moving her tongue and, and whatnot. And just was amazed that Oh my God, I just birthed the baby feet first and posterior. <laughs> so that was by far my favorite birth. Yeah. How um, did you, I know you mentioned earlier, like it was still very peaceful and calm. There wasn't yeah. panic. How were you feeling throughout all of that? And then even the part where you said you were laying on your back and had to flip over, like what was going through your head at that time? You know, my midwife made it. She made it seem urgent, but she didn't make it seem scary, if that makes any sense. Um, so I knew that there was, I knew that there was something going on that, you know, I needed to be aware of. I needed to get this baby out. At that time, she had not told me what it was. I didn't learn that baby's chest was rising until after baby was out. Um, and I think that that really helped because I probably would have panicked and my muscles would have tensed. And, you know, that would have caused a whole host of issues then. But I think, you know, because she didn't panic, because nobody else around me panicked. Um, and I'm, I am what you call a social birther. The more people in the room, the better, uh, because it takes my mind off of it. Uh, so it, it was a packed room. Um, and so, but I think that them staying calm helped me to stay calm as well and just focus on, you know, I, I literally call that birth my dance. I, I literally call it my dance. That baby and I were dancing together and maneuvering our bodies in such a way that we could create new life. That's beautiful. Um, it, that she was able to be born with no problems. And it, it really, to this day, she still loves to dance with me. We, <laughs> we also joke about her because she is the fiery, uh, just, attitude filled redhead <laughs> she's got bright bright red hair and she's got the attitude to go with it and we say she just walked herself right out with yep. that attitude <laughs> I love it say <laughs> so how did that immediate postpartum time having a home birth compare to I mean obviously the previous cesareans that you had but even the previous vaginal births that you had had in the hospital what were the differences there Oh my goodness. It was absolutely incredible. I was, I was weighted on hand and foot. I got strawberries and whipped cream in bed. <laughs> um, that night I was up walking around my house, holding my other kids. I literally did not feel like I'd had a baby. I, I didn't, I, there was no pain. The only pain I experienced at all was, you know, the, the afterbirth pain when you're nursing. That's the only pain I experienced was the cramping from nursing as so I did not feel like I'd had a baby at all. And, um, absolutely. I was on cloud a million with this birth. <laughs> so uh, there was, 
there was no postpartum depression. Um, it was just this drive to tell other women that, oh my gosh, this is possible. You don't have to, you don't have to have a C-section. You, you don't have to do anything that you are not comfortable with. And that really sparked in me that, that drive to, to tell other women that. And so I actually, I had been in a VBAC group on Facebook for many years and I actually went back to them and they made me an admin. Um, and so I, I help admin a VBAC group nowadays. And which group um, is that? With uh, It is VBAC HBAC, um, awesome VBAC HBAC support group. And um, yeah, I can send you a link to it later. Yeah, today. that's I would love to link that with <laughs> um, this episode too, just for other women looking for that type of support. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yep. You know, and we're not, we, we, we tell you right up front in our group rules that we're not your typical birthing group. We're not your typical even VBAC support group because we believe in the evidence. We don't believe in listening to, to just every little thing the doctor says. We believe in looking at the numbers. Um, and so we really share the numbers. We share the, the evidence. Um, we share things about breech babies we've had i think since my my breech birth we've had probably i think eight other women that have done breech births as well uh one of those to my knowledge was a uh breech back after five previous cesareans <laughs> so you know these are you know women women need to see these stories to realize that we are strong and we are capable of this and and you have just, options yeah yeah you know and that's what i i did not have with that first breech baby i was told it was cesarean or nothing and i chose a cesarean and only a few weeks later at my six week postpartum checkup was told oh by the way we've done uh breech births here at the the hospital before you know, so I was completely lied to whether or not they'd ever done breach with VBAC. I don't know. But, you know, it, what's the difference? The, the, the two don't the two don't counteract each other. There's VBAC and there's breach. There's not you know, it, it doesn't doesn't intermingle. If that makes sense, it, it doesn't cause any greater uh, risks to, to have a breach VBAC versus a head down VBAC. It's all the same. There's risk regardless yeah. of what you choose. I mean, there's risk in having right. a vaginal birth. Yeah. There's risk in having a C-section. There's risk in hospital yeah. birth. There's risk in home birth. So it's just knowing all of that information and making a choice that's yeah. best for you and your family and what you are comfortable with. There's no one size fits all. Yeah. Yep. And I know one of the things that I have have actually told women in regards to, you know, wanting a VBAC versus a C-section and their doctor says, there's just too great of a risk of uterine rupture. One of the things that I say is, well, you have a maybe one to 2% chance of uterine rupture with a VBAC. But if you think about it logically, a C-section literally is a controlled uterine rupture. Your, your uterus is being cut open. So do you want to take the one to two percent chance where you have a greater chance of it not happening or do you want to just let it happen 
<laughs> you know, um, and that's, that's really something that hits home. You really think about that, like, wow, yeah, I'm actually allowing a uterine rupture when I do a C-section. That's not to say that there aren't some cesareans that are necessary. Right, absolutely. There, there are absolutely some situations where a cesarean is necessary. But to be told so often in our culture that it's the only way and and then to learn, you know, potentially months down the road or even years down the road that there was a different way, it, it can be very heart-wrenching for that woman to realize that she had options and she didn't know. Absolutely. Uh, and so that, that's entirely what our group is about is, is making sure that women know that they have options. Very cool. So. Well, yes, I will definitely link that just so that's another resource that awesome. women can have. Yep. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's wonderful. So then yeah. baby number eight. Baby number eight. Um, this one is the uh, the one that I have to give a trigger warning for because this one started out amazing and ended in a situation that no parent should have to deal with. Um, no parent ever wants to deal with, but it is it is always a risk. Um, so I, I do give the trigger warning to, to people in that sense. Um, but baby number eight came about two years and four months later. Pregnancy was great. Uh, at 35 weeks, I got a dental infection and wound up on antibiotics for it um, after having a tooth pulled. Um, we believe that it was possibly that course of antibiotics and the infection and whatnot, but um, we didn't know anything at the time. So I'll fast forward to the birth. Um, at 41 weeks exactly, I went into labor via my water breaking at two o'clock in the morning. Um, so we just decided we'd rest and, and see what came of it and get up and you know do our walking and things of that na nature in the morning. So we did, we, we slept all night, I think we got up about eight o'clock in the morning and there were still no contractions, um, which for me was unheard of. My, my water's never broke until in labor. We started walking around the house. We started bouncing on the birthing ball, um, walking up and down the street with one foot on the curb to see if I could get baby in a better position. You know, must've looked hilarious having a, a fully pregnant lady waddling out there on the curb, but... <laughs> At that point, I just didn't care. So we were out walking. Uh, I think it was, gosh, probably five o'clock in the afternoon when contractions finally started up a little bit. They weren't very steady, but about seven o'clock, they got stronger. My husband called my midwife and he called my best friend who was there to photograph or to photograph the birth. I don't even, I think it was 10 o'clock when they got in the, the, house and by that point I was screaming in pain you know transition it, it had gone pretty quick to that point um we were also noticing some meconium in the waters and so it was not dark yet it wasn't you know my midwife looked at it she said you know it's something we need to keep an eye on but it's not dangerous yet and so we just continued pushing on with this particular labor, I could not handle being 
flat on my back, but I did not have the strength either to be standing. The, the pains were just much different. Um, and I can't say they were painful, but they were, they were different. Um, and so I finally asked my midwife, would you please check me? There's something's not, something's not right. I don't know what it is, but something's not right. And, uh, she checked me once and things looked a little bit, you know, they, I was progressing. I think I was a six or seven centimeters and I sat up from that exam and I felt this jolt, just like the baby had just completely twisted in my body. And I looked at everybody and I said, she just, she just flipped. She just flipped or something. And the midwife's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And laid me down, checked me again. Sure enough, now baby's butt first. Oh my goodness. Your body likes to have breech <laughs> babies. Yes. This baby flipped it to breech in labor as well. <laughs> um, and my midwife said, you know, we can still, this is, she, she gave me all the, the risks, of course, said it's still absolutely possible. You, you know, your body can do it. You've done it already, but it's up to you as well. There is meconium, you know, she gave us the opportunity to decide what we wanted to do. And we chose to push on and have our baby at home. Um, at that point, I started using the birthing stool and we moved to the bathroom. Um, and I, I think I went in between the birthing stool and the toilet in the bathroom, just kind of seeing what worked better. It ultimately wound up being the birthing stool and baby started uh, to, as they called it, rump. Um, instead of crowning, it's rumping with a, a breech baby. So she started rumping uh, and she was fully born at, gosh, just after midnight, I believe. I don't even remember the, the exact time, but just after midnight, um, she was born... Uh, I was on my hands and knees and she was born and everybody was silent. And this is where the trigger warning comes in. I turned around and she was not breathing. She was completely limp. Uh, she was purple. There was a heartbeat as there had been all throughout labor and pushing. Um, so there was no signs that anything was going to go wrong, but she would, she would not breathe. It didn't matter what we did. We were, you know, rubbing vigorously. We were flicking her feet. We gave oxygen. Um, we gave CPR all while calling the ambulance. Of course, you know, nobody knew what was going on. Um, midwife was doing CPR ambulance showed up. And at that point, the midwife finally cut the umbilical cord. Thank God she waited. Um, it is actually credited for saving our baby's life. I, the only thing I remember at that point was my midwife handing the baby off to the, the EMT. And I remember black shoes running from my home, literally running from my home. And at that point I broke down in tears, screaming. My husband had gone with the baby and in the hospital, in the emergency room at 18 minutes old, she had spontaneous breathing. It was not effective enough. So they wound up having to intubate her. Um, they intubated her at 24 minutes old. So 
from birth to 24 minutes, she was without appropriate oxygen. That is what triggered the vast majority of her uh, medical conditions today. It was called hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, um, basically a brain injury because of lack of oxygen and blood flow. We were told at the first hospital that she would not survive. Her blood gas levels were too low to even transfer her. Um, so mom just needed to get there and say her goodbyes. Meanwhile, my body had shut down and I could not get the placenta out. Um, my midwife was trying various things to help with that, but my body was, the trauma had just shut it down. Um, and she was just moments away from calling the ambulance for myself as well when she tried a, a certain tincture. I, I don't even remember what it was, a, a tincture in my mouth. And within two minutes, the placenta just shot out. I got cleaned up, I got dressed, I was on my feet, not even an hour after having my baby and was rushing to the hospital. We were told at that point that they'd redone the original blood gas test and it was 0.1 above the threshold for transferring her. So 0.1 um, was enough to say, okay, let's get the, the life flight crew out here and get her sent to the NICU and they still maintained she would not survive. They fully expected that she would die on the trip there. I got in the, the ambulance and I rode with. I, I said, I was not gonna leave my baby. I don't care what you say. I, I know I just had her and I'm bleeding myself and I'm in pain, but I'm going with. Um, and I ran every everywhere they ran, I ran, got her into the NICU and it was discovered that the reason she was unable to breathe at birth was she had a severe group B strep infection, which as you know, many women are tested for group B strep in pregnancy. Uh, but because I had a home birth and because I chose the evidence-based route of, you know, realizing that testing isn't going to make a difference. It can be positive one day and negative the next day. Um, and so much more evidence involved in that that I could I could link you to as well. But um, because of that, I, we chose not to do that testing, so we did not know. And she wound up being the 0.5% chance that would be born with group B strep. So it caused the group B strep caused sepsis in her her blood. It also caused her lungs to fail. Uh, she was on a ventilator for two weeks. She was on CPAP for one week and then on room air for a, a fourth week. She was unable to eat or drink anything by mouth. And even today at three years old, she does have a G-tube for all of her feeds. So we have, we have a vast plethora of experience of things with her um, that, as I said, I would not wish on any birthing mother. I wouldn't wish on any mother at all, but at the same time, she's taught us so much and taught me how to, how to interact with women who are going through a similar situation. If they have a birth injury, which, you know, I mean, birth injury does happen. And so these are important things for women to know. Absolutely. Well, and you know, there are greater incidences of false positives with this test, uh, which then causes women to say, okay, well, I need the antibiotics in labor. 
um, which nothing against antibiotics if that's what you choose, but I know that it can uh, damage the gut health of both mom and baby. Uh, and so that's something that I wouldn't have chosen to do anyway. Even if I had been positive, I would not have chosen to do antibiotics. Right. Um, so we still would have had the same result. Um, I, I look back on that. People ask me a lot, would you have done anything differently? And I look back on it and I wonder to myself, you know, if I had known that I was group B strep positive, would I have maybe gone to a hospital sooner or would I have gone to a hospital when she turned to breach thinking that maybe that was her sign that she was struggling? Um, you know, I, and I can't really speak to that because I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if she turned breach because she was struggling. Uh, you know, there were no signs that she was struggling at all. And so it's so hard to, to determine what I would have done had I known. I really don't think that I would have done anything different. I can honestly say that her birth in general was still peaceful. It was still a good birth up until that point. Um, you know, there's obviously there's trauma there, but the birth in general was, was perfect. Um, even having a breech baby, it was, it was doable. It was painful, but it was doable. It was, you know, honestly better than my head down babies, <laughs> which a lot of people laugh at that. I would do breech birth over head down babies any day. How was that postpartum period then? How long was she in the NICU for? She was in the NICU for a month, exactly. Um, and that postpartum period was, was very, very difficult. And I would honestly say it's actually still going, even three years later. Um, you know, it's, it's what we call CTSD rather than PTSD. It's CTSD. It's chronic traumatic stress disorder. Uh, because every day of her life is honestly a fight to, to keep her alive. Um, there's a lot of a lot of health concerns with her right now, and it is a fight to keep her alive. So there's a chronic um, stress there just every day, and it has greatly impacted our entire family. My my oldest daughter, who I had at 16 years old, um, she was there for the birth. Uh, she had maintained all throughout pregnancy that she didn't want to be involved at all. She didn't want to see that. Um, when the moment came, for some reason, she could not leave me. She, she was there throughout the entire birth. She was there uh, when the baby was taken away in the ambulance. And it, I think she has healed from it for the most part, but there are still some things that do terrify both of us, particularly when it comes to birth. So yeah, uh, She's struggled with it. I've struggled with it. My husband has been quiet with it, um, but he, you can tell that there's been a struggle there as well. Um, you know, and when, when we do talk, he does let a lot of the emotion go, but it's few and far between that I can get him to talk about it. Um, he's just such a logical being that to him, it's just, this is what we got handed and we just get things taken care of. You know, as far as the other kids go, they have, they have stepped up and they literally have learned all of her medical care. Um, they, they take care of each other. They take care of the home. 
you know, things that I never, as a parent, I never wanted for my children. I, I always viewed that I was the parent. I was the one that would take care of the home. I was the one that would do the cooking and the cleaning and, and whatnot. And roles have changed to some degree. You know, they, they don't necessarily do all of that, but they're helping a lot more than I ever expected from my children. And so because we're, we're gone at therapies every day and things of that nature. And so it's, it's brought our family a lot closer in a lot of respects. Um, and it's also just taught us how to rely on each other. Not something that, you know, a, a parent ever thinks about or wants to happen. But when you can look back and you can see that there was some good in it, I think that that really does help. Absolutely. put things into perspective. Absolutely. Well, thank you. My goodness. You were right. The vast You're very welcome. variety and differences <laughs> of birth and just so many experiences. I'm so glad that you, that you were willing to share all of your stories with us. Absolutely. And I can honestly say, I think we're done having babies now. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last question that I have is, do you just have something that you would want other moms to know or like your biggest learning experience or the most empowering thing about your whole journey? Is there, do you have kind of like a one liner you could give us? My biggest thing is listen to your body, listen to your intuition. Even before that baby comes earthside, you are still a mama and you have that mama intuition listen to it. Something doesn't sit right with you that the doctor's saying, research it. You can always tell them, I want to look into this before we plan anything. Just do your thing. Your mama, you got it. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Thank you again. Um, and like we said earlier, I'll link that, um, that Facebook group in yep. the show notes so that other women can have access to that and then if anyone has questions or specifically yep. if anything resonated with someone that would be a great way just yeah. to reach out and get that extra support awesome thank you for listening to another episode of the home birth after cesarean podcast make sure to subscribe leave a rating and follow us on facebook and instagram if you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.